Good morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here at Shepherd, and I'm excited to be with you if you're here in person and online. A special thank you, actually, to our online host, Tracy, right now, who's just chatting it up with people, and Grace, who's away at college. She's online with us this morning, so I just checked. I want to say hi. Um, we are really excited to be with you in this season where we kick off a new series. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I want to celebrate something first. I want to celebrate the group of people that are in this picture right behind me, right there. Um, these people are, have all just finished the new member and, or baptism course, and so they will be part of our congregation. What that is, is we do three weeks together where we explore the beliefs of Shepherd of the Valley and what we stand for and how to become part of the broader community. And then for some people, receiving baptism is their gift of grace from God. They go through a kind of separate part of that and explore what baptism means. And so in April, we'll be doing a baptism, an immersion baptism here in the sanctuary, which is really fun. And then we'll be doing another baptism in the um, summertime in the river, which is really exciting. So can we give a hand for all these people who've said yes to me and Gabby did a great job launching our series last week. If you did not catch that sermon, it is phenomenal. And she articulated, our series is called Generations. And the reason why you saw the video beforehand is because it articulates the vision that we're running with in this season of our life together. That season entails reaching out to neighborhoods, which whether you live in the valley or in the city, wherever you live, you have a neighborhood, so we want to equip you for that. It entails reaching out to parents and helping raise the next generation, and anyone know that parenting is hard these days? Um, and then sports communities and schools. In fact, just last night, I was walking out of Lolo and Hudson, and in was walking Emily, one of our council members, and she's like, I'm here to get gift cards for my teachers. I was like, yes. Um, so we are doing this vision that we get involved in the communities that we're part of, whether in the valley or outside the valley, so that people know that Jesus is for them and Jesus loves them. So last week, Gabby kicked off this series called Generations, where we want to take the responsibility as a church for passing off faith to the next generation, whether or not we're biological parents. In fact, several times in the early church documents, it, um, it refers to God as our father and in some ways like the church as our mother, this idea that we help nurture each other and lift each other up and raise each other. And then we have a responsibility to help Everyone raise that next generation. And she, Gabby articulated this North Star that we want to lead the next generation into a faith that lasts a lifetime. I want my kids to know the life-giving love of Jesus Christ their whole lives. I want my kids' kids to know that. I want them to experience that and know that nothing else in this world can fill that place except for that love of Christ. And when it does, everything else gets better. But I don't just want that for my kids. I want that for their friends in school. I want that for their boyfriends and girlfriends, heaven forbid. <laughs> I want that for your kids. I want that for your neighbor's kids. I want that for every kid that is in circuit every Wednesday night here who's being pulled by
by all sorts of forces to put anything at the center of their heart but Jesus. See, this faith that lasts a lifetime will help them weather life storms and actually experience grace here and now. And the, the topic that I've been given to speak to you about is the weight of our words. How many in this room know that our words have weight? Listen to what Proverbs says about our words. Now, Proverbs is like a puzzle. The whole book of Proverbs, you flip it over and spin them all out, and each proverb you have to find and put together, and it makes this picture. Proverbs says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Oh, kind of ominous, right? The power of life and death. Now, anyone married here knows that our tongue has the power of life and death. Anyone say the wrong thing on purpose? Like, we know, right? But in a macro level, wars are started by words. We know that tensions in our home can be started by words and that we can experience healing in our words. That actually words, the weight of them, can be like one of these, right? We can throw our words like rocks. Or even more, maybe we take these rocks and we put them inside the backpack that we all carry, the luggage. That we all have baggage, don't we? And then over the course of our lifetime, words can be like rocks that weigh us down. I bet you if you think of your history, you can think of a few phrases right now that are in your backpack. Like, Jeremy, why does your backpack have a balloon? Because words were designed to do something different. They were designed to lift us up. They were designed to build us up. We'll get to that in the scripture you know, Andy Stanley says, uh, he's a pastor, uh, and he says that it takes five positive things said to counterbalance the one negative thing. And that's from kind of social science these days. He actually argued that in close relationships, the ratio is higher because our words have even more weight. And so as we think about our histories, that are we people who are weighed down or are we people who are lifted up in the words that we've received? And then that actually shapes what we do with our words as we grow. In 1982, there's a guy named Larry. He was a truck driver. And they call him Lawn Chair Larry. And the reason why, and this is from my neck of the woods. It happened in San Pedro, California. He had this dream of flying. And so he decided that it'd be a good idea to fill a whole bunch of balloons and tie them to his lawn chair, and he took flight. So much so that he got in trouble from the FAA. I'm like, I want to be that guy. He just has this dream, you know? He has a BB gun to, like, let, like shoot the balloons. <laughs> Halfway through, he drops the BB gun, like, in his flight. Luckily, he'd shot just enough balloons to slowly bring himself down somewhere in Long Beach, California, and he made the news. And I was a kid, and I watched this. You know, you might recognize this other version of that story. It looks like this. Anyone know what movie that is? Up. Like when my kids were little, Pixar was at its prime. 
And so I got to watch this movie. And you know, this guy, he, he's grumpy because he's lost the love of his life. And he, he was a balloon guy at a zoo. And he uses all his balloons because he's going to take the trip of the lifetime that his wife wanted to take. And so he fills up all these balloons and rips the house off the foundation and floats him to this new place. And in doing so, he meets Russell, a young man of the next generation who softens his heart and reminds him what it is to actually love someone else again. The image that we see between the rock and the balloon for me is what I want to grab onto. The words are small things, but they have great power. And they can, see, she agrees with me. (laughs) But they have the power to lift us up or the power to tear us down. And God wants us to use our words to lift up. Now, the whole first half of this sermon, you're going to be like, this is the worst sermon ever because it's full of bad news. I promise. I'm just telling you now. There's bad news coming. But after that, I want us to see the good news. Let's start with James and let's see what James has to say about the power of our words and the small thing that does great things. We all stumble in many ways. That's, That's pretty good news. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. I think of my daughter taking riding lessons when she was like six. This giant animal, she, like her legs don't even cover the whole side of it. You know, like little boots sticking out. And she's able to steer this animal with just the, the gentle move of the rein. Actually, I felt sorry for the animal because her gentle is not quite my gentle. (laughs) Or we take ships as an example. Although they are so large and they are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Woo! Do do you think James maybe has a few rocks in his bag? Like, James has got some baggage. But he's not wrong. That he's articulating that this negative power of our words can really do damage. And there's a bunch of us in this room that walk around and we are carrying a load and I know it, I feel it, because I've been there. I know what it is to carry the words that have been given to you that weigh you down. And I'm telling you that there is grace and hope for a future. James goes on and he says, All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Let me remind us of that. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. For with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness or his image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, it should not be so. Anyone feel like cut to the quick on that one? 
Maybe even like just think of the words you spoke over the last week. That we, I mean, I look at my own. Uh, guys, my tendency is actually to see and speak the negative. And the reason for that in my life, and some of you who know me well are like, no, you aren't. That's the least I think of you. I'm telling you my tendency from my history. You see, uh, over the course of my life when I was young, I had lots of rocks put in my bag. Why are you so lazy? You know, you really could have done better on that test. You know, I expect more from you. And so my tendency is actually to do the same thing. Anyone in the room experienced something like that growing up? That actually we repeat some of the patterns that have been exampled for us. And my mom never meant to do it. It wasn't her heart. My mom loved me. But it was the pattern that she had seen growing up. That had been repeated again and again and again. What are we going to do to intervene? Well, the scripture says this about the heart and the words. It says this. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers. The mouth of the wicked gushes with evil. Again, this idea of an unrestrained tongue. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, it is possible for us to be balloon givers and not just stone throwers. But we have to deal with the depth of the bad news. No human can tame the tongue, as James says. We're in it together. We're in trouble. There are two realities. Reality one, all of us have hurt someone with our words. We have. It's just the nature of the fallen brokenness of the world. And so if you in this room are carrying shame about rocks that you have been given and then given to someone else, I want you to be free from that because there's more to the story. Two, unsaid words can be just as heavy as the ones that are said. Do you know what the words that I really wanted to hear more often when I was a kid that I didn't get to hear? I wish I would have heard, I'm proud of you. But what I heard was silence in that area. And the bag gets heavier and heavier. There are words that are unsaid that have power. And you see how the enemy twists words and uses them to rob us of our identity and rob the next generation of our identity. But here's the good news, or at least the beginning of the good news. That words weren't some sort of accidental creation by God. In fact, God gave us weight to our words on purpose. That he intentionally designed you to have powerful words. How did God create? Anyone know? He spoke. That's right. In the Genesis account, he speaks eight different times. And every time he speaks, whatever he spoke came into existence. And afterwards, it says that God blessed it and saw that it was good. God creates through speaking. And he created us to be in his image. 
that we are to have the mastery of words and create beautiful things like poetry. You know, last week I was in New York because Michelle had a training and I got to sit like 30 feet from Amanda Gorman, the poet, as she, um, she gave a, a poem and then um, a guy was playing Bach on the cello, this guy named Vogler, amazing cellist. And I was like, whoa, this is powerful speech. But the problem is the way that we were attacked by the enemy right in Genesis, Genesis chapter three, is like we've been created, we've been created with power. God, uh, God has Adam name everything. He gives him authority to, to speak over it. And then now Satan appears as a serpent and challenges us. And what does he say? He says, did God really say? He uses words and twists them. Later on, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he uses the same tactic. Did God really say? Questioning our identity. See, the most powerful words are actually the ones said about you by God. You are a beloved child of God. You are someone for whom Christ died. You are a sinner of his redeeming. But everything in our world wants to steal that identity away. And you need only watch, like I watch my kids grow up in a culture where everything that's coming out on the screen tells them you are and not those things that I just listed, right? In fact, Michelle has this beautiful phrase that she says. If you don't know my wife, she's a marriage and family therapist. She's way smarter than me. I married up. Um, And she says this frequently. She says, the you are's become the I am's. The you are's become the I am's. Now that can be like a rock. And part of the problem is we think like we're just dealing with the problem. Like, you know, like I'm a parent and I'm like, why are you doing this? And, you know, I drop this rock that I think is a small thing, but my son feels it very different, right? Because the weight for him is different. And so we have to be mindful of how we use our words and how we use the URs. One way that Michelle is amazing at this is she'll say, Gabe or Nariah, our two kids, I know that you are a person who's actually really thoughtful and so this thing that you just did doesn't seem to align with that. And I'm like, whoa, I, need, I, let, I get out the notebook. I'm like, parenting tip 101. <laughs> because that wasn't at all what was modeled for me. In fact, the areas that I'm like hardest on my son, like where I use the URs in a negative way or, or even my daughter, are usually some of the areas in my life that I don't like what I see where I haven't experienced or let God's grace sink deeply into me and change those words. And so I have to pay attention to that and let God's transformative work shape me. See, here's the real bit of good news, is that because you cannot tame your own tongue, because it's beyond human control, God gave us another word. He didn't stop creating. He did not stop creating with his words in Genesis. In John chapter 1, It introduces who Jesus is, and and he does so in a beautiful way. He says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
See, he introduced Jesus with this very specific word, word, logos, which we get the word reason or logic from. You see, God's final word, his word to fill all words, to restore, to heal, is Jesus. Jesus came and with his words, he calmed storms. He stopped people from having illness with his words. He spoke healing over people. He did so much with his words. He taught with his words. And he actually taught about communion that we celebrate now. He said, you'd have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And people had no idea what he was saying. And it really confused some people. And they they started to leave him because of the power of his words. And they didn't understand it. And this is what it says in John 6. He says, from that time, some of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus turns to his 12 and he says, you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That in Jesus is a different word. And that word is the final word. That word is you are loved. You are redeemed. Your identity is reclaimed and restored. And we have creative power just as God had creative power with our words. In us, because the Holy Spirit resides in us, if you are a follower of Jesus, then that means that that same creative power that Jesus used, that God used, we get to use in how we build up the next generation. This is good news and a beautiful gift. This takes us from being stone throwers to balloon fillers. You know, when we were getting ready for this sermon this morning, I wanted this picture of like up. I wanted to like float off the stage. I wanted to like, you know. But you know what we did? We ran out of helium. Here's the good news, friends. Jesus never runs out of helium. There is no end to the grace that will transform your heart and make you into a spring of living water, being able to speak words that build up. Even if we have to use hard words from time to time of correction, especially when we have to do that. So how do we, how do we approach that? I think Paul gives us some, some direction, some guidance. In the book of Ephesians, Paul takes his creative power. It's Ephesians 4 and 5. If you, for a good read on how we should live with each other, read Ephesians 4 and 5 together. He says this. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Uh, the word is like corrupting or twisting. Twisting talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Now, interesting to me, I've read this a million times. Um, and you know what hit me this time? According to their needs, because I want to build someone up according to what I think they need. Like, I want to build my kids up and be like, I think you should do this. Don't, don't you? But that's just another twist on it. It's the way it gets at us again. We're back in the same cycle. See, what Paul is saying is, hey, only what is helpful for building others up according to what they need. Here's the good news about that. You know who knows what my kids need better than me? 
is God. That means that I have to turn to God in prayer as I am thinking about speaking to my kids. Abraham Lincoln had this really wise phrase. He said, I spend one third of my time thinking about what I'm going to say to someone and two thirds of my time thinking about how they're going to hear it. If only I would be that wise with my kids. But luckily, Michelle helps me with that. That we aren't meant to do it alone. We're meant to do it in community. And we as the church, as we address the next generation, it would be easy for us to point fingers based on the rocks that are in our backpacks. But what God wants to do is take those rocks out and unpack them with us and help us experience grace and turn this into this. Did you know that's actually possible? That is possible for the tapes that you've been given, for the words that have been spoken over you that have hurt, to be unloaded by God in community, full of grace. That he wants to free us and unburden our backpacks. That the big words, the you are not enough, you are not smart enough, you are not good enough, that those can be replaced with you are loved. You are designed to do something in this world for the kingdom. You are fearfully and wonderfully made if we take Psalm 139 seriously. Unfortunately, there's not enough helium for my backpack to go up. But you get the picture. So Paul goes on and he says, then get rid of, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander. Don't you wish our world could do a little bit of that? Along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in Christ, God forgave you. You see, he gives us the supernatural capacity to love like he loves, to serve like he serves. And that comes out from our heart, out of our mouth, and how we speak. And it begins with forgiveness and grace. First receiving and giving. Because the people who put those rocks in your backpack probably didn't mean to. And so God wants grace for you to be free of that load. And maybe some of them did mean to. Because there's some serious hurt that gets done on purpose. And God doesn't want to say that didn't matter. What God wants to do is redeem that and restore that and change the trajectory of our lives. It's from this same set of passages that we get the phrase, speak truth in love to one another. It's this concern for other that the Holy Spirit wants to put inside of us. That if we allow him, that he will change the way our heart postures itself towards others. That it will posture out of a heart that Jesus wants to give us. And then, what do we do? Well, Paul says, speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from the heart to the Lord. You're like, Jeremy, that is so cheesy. I'm not singing those songs to my kids. That's not quite what I'm asking you to do. But for them, what they mean is those psalms and hymns are from the scriptures. 
that our words have the most weight when they are God's words. Did you know there's like 58 just different types of blessings in the Bible itself? Like all, it's full of blessing. So three things that we can do to like be more open in our lives to the way God wants to use our words powerfully. Um, I want to start with Isaiah because Isaiah tells us why this is important. In Isaiah, it says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds and flowers and bread for the eaters, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. He has chosen to send his word through you to the world to ascribe unsurpassable worth and to build up. So how do we be open to it? One, read God's word out loud. Like, I use this app called Lectio 365 in the mornings. It's like a, a devotional where it does Lectio Divina. And, and then I'll open the scripture and read out loud sometimes that verse. Or like when I'm practicing or getting ready for a sermon, I'll read the verses out loud so they can sink in. Like, read out loud. If the Bible was meant to be read out loud. Two, pray God's word. Start in the Psalms. The Psalms, you have the good, the bad, the ugly. You have honesty. And even in the hardest parts of the Psalms, the psalmist always turns back to God and says, but I will trust in you. It helps us posture ourselves in a way that the scripture can sink into us. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, um, we don't pray out of the, uh, we pray out of the riches of God's word um, and not out of the poverty of our own heart. Again, getting back to that idea that we can't tame our own tongue. It has to be God that does the work inside of us. And then three, share God's word with other people, especially the next generation. Now, what I'm not saying is like send them a Bible verse every day that is like to change behavior. That's not what I'm saying. Start with the blessings. Like, bless people with the words of Scripture. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Start with the words of Jesus, like it, especially in like the Gospel of John, like as he blesses people. These are the most powerful words in the Scripture. And know this, that the most powerful words that can come out of your mouth are this. One, I love you. Two, I'm proud of you. Three, I'm sorry. These are the three most powerful phrases. Let's all practice saying them more. Can we do that together? Then maybe we can float away like Larry, the uh, lawn chair Larry. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have the ultimate word over our lives that where words have been twisted and the weight of them has been crushing, you have come to bring life. God, take our words. Take the words that have been used as weapons over us. Help us see them in your light. Unload our backpack. Free us from shame that we might carry for how we've used ours. Lord, use us today to be builders with our words. Help us to love the next generation with your love. 
And God, we invite you to do whatever you need to in us, that you might do whatever you want to through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.